It's the 1st of April, 2018, but this ain't no joke. It's episode 361 of Let's Talk Bitcoin. On today's episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin, I'm here with Andreas Antonopoulos. Hello, everyone. Jonathan Mohan. Hey, hey. And special guest, Caitlin Long, formerly the president and chairman of early tokenization play Symbiont, and now one of the founders of the Wyoming Blockchain Coalition. Caitlin, thanks for being here. Hey there, what an honor and a pleasure, truly, to be on with you three. It really, I've been a longtime follower, so it's really fun to be invited onto your show. Thanks. Well, thank you very much. Flattery will get you anywhere on this show. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, it seems like whenever we talk about cryptocurrency and regulation, these things have just never meshed well. And kind of from our earliest uh, interactions, you know, with like the bit license with New York back in 2014 to more recent actions like the Trump executive order on the Petro, it just seems like most of the time it's negative. And so I've been watching with some interest this story that you've had kind of a large hand in several bills that were proposed and passed in Wyoming that are kind of a different take on regulation uh, in the cryptocurrency space. And I'm especially enthused by our guest because I've known Caitlin for about four years now. In this space, you have, especially in the early days of Bitcoin, it was always a pleasure to meet someone from banking who really got it because the level of um, self-selection required to be someone in institutional banking that got Bitcoin meant that you were sort of a, a cool person. Like in the early days of the internet, there was a directory of every person on the internet with every person's name, number, and address. Because if you were one of the first hundred people on the internet, they just assumed that there was a level of self-selection and ideology and ability and understanding that meant that they could just implicitly trust you with that type of data. And Caitlin was somebody who at the time was at Morgan Stanley, who I always thought, God, like, I can't wait for her to try to change the world in Morgan Stanley, but I'm super excited for when she leaves and gives up on it so that she could do some really awesome stuff in the Bitcoin <laughs> world. And, you know, when we had first met, she even said, uh, you know, please uh, don't publicly disclose that I'm a Bitcoiner because of just the stigma around it, like how weird they were. All of the brilliant people I knew at Morgan Stanley had to leave Morgan Stanley in order to change the world. So when Caitlin left to join Symbiont and then was working on securities problems, I was so excited to see what she was doing. And then recently she said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, in three months, get five bills passed at the state level. They did it. So she's on here to sort of uh, do the victory tour and let people know how the, uh, the tides are turning as it relates to laws and statutes and blockchain. And now that we actually have legal state guidance at the statutory level, what that means for entrepreneurs in this space and what that means for people looking at doing activities in America. Caitlin, like, thank you so much for doing that, A, on behalf of everyone, and B, it's so awesome to see how much butt you can kick when you're a free agent. Oh my gosh, Jonathan, what an introduction. Thank you. We've had so much fun, and two times, I think, you and I drove up to Porkfest together, <laughs> so you definitely were right there with me during that whole journey. A compliment to Andreas. You were also one of the early influencers of me from your early videos. It helped me understand it. And I still, like you, am learning about Bitcoin every day. I'm still uncovering the layers of the implications of what this means and why it, it, is, it is so anti-fragile and why it, it truly will be the way that most humans on Earth ultimately exchange value with each other over time. So, what, again, what an honor to be on with you guys. This is so much fun. 
So Caitlin, a lot of people say they're going to do some pretty crazy things in very short periods of time. And when you said that you were going to uh, spend some time back in the home state of Wyoming uh, and get some laws passed, I, I, I wished you every all the best, but I was, I was, you know, <laughs> I was applying the blockchain treatment of waiting to when someone says they're going to change the world. And I just got to say, like, like, you know, what is, what, what were you doing in Wyoming? What is it? Why, why Wyoming? First of all, it wasn't just me. Uh, there were a couple folks that, that really made it happen. And I must share a story at the Satoshi Roundtable. I don't think you were in the room when I predicted that this was going to happen and I was describing the legislator who was going to make it happen as a Ron Paul supporter. And someone said, well, that means it's not going to happen. Definitely. (laughs) And I said, no, it's definitely going to happen. I'm pretty sure we're going to get at least one of these bills passed. And uh, what happened is of course the ball got really rolling and, um, and, and, and a couple of them passed unanimously, and all of them passed with very, very wide margins, unanimously in both houses, that is. It just took a life of its own, and um, it, it, it started with, I tried to donate some of that early Bitcoin that I had purchased, which of course had appreciated. I tried to donate some to fund an endowment for female engineers at the University of Wyoming, which is my alma mater. My father had been head of electrical engineering department, so had a big connection there and thought at Symbian, it was so hard to hire female engineers. There just are not very many. And those that are qualified tend to be able to, in in many cases, command a premium in the market. So it's hard for startups to justify paying a premium. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to try to be part of the solution, not the problem. And very quietly decided to endow this scholarship and didn't think that it would lead to this. But when I ran into the problem in Wyoming, which is that the exchange provider, exchanges and wallet providers couldn't do business in Wyoming because of the money transmitter law, it meant that the University of Wyoming couldn't accept my Bitcoin donation. So I said to them at the time, and I'd been on the foundation board in in years past, I said to them at the time, we got to fix this because I won't be the only one who wants to donate Bitcoin and let's work together to fix this. And as the fall went through, they brought me back to campus to speak about it. Um, and the Dean of the engineering college and I had met and he, he had not really heard the blockchain story before. I must give him tremendous credit because he said, wow, there's really something here. And I said, well, can you help us get something done in Wyoming? And he said, Yes, even though he works for the state university, he has an economic development mandate. So I said, well, great, let's do something. And around about that time, the, one of my college buddies, who was a Facebook friend, reached out to me and said, we got to fix this issue in Wyoming. And so it was a confluence of a lot of people. And when we, we announced the Wyoming Blockchain Coalition in November, um, and literally it took us one week to put that together. And that was a who's who in Wyoming. There's only one university in Wyoming. So getting the university officials, including the dean of engineering, the dean of the business school, the former president, um, as, as well as the head of the computer science department. And then we got a former governor to join on and the mayor of Cheyenne to join on. Um, and it all happened in the span of one week. And uh, it, it really is incredible how many people just piled on. 
we didn't go in being confident that we'd get all five bills passed. But at the end of the day, this was an opportunity that fit the state of Wyoming like a glove. It tends to be a pretty libertarian place. It was obvious they needed to fix the money transmitter laws. There was tremendous support for that. But once we decided to get going, we decided to reach a lot higher and ended up with five bills instead of just one. So it was a great result. When I hear people talk about the Wyoming Initiative, when they don't really dig into the implications of this at a federal level and at a, at a government level, they sort of say, yeah, Wyoming, but like, how's that going to affect New York or, or California or Delaware or, you know, Nevada? Like, how, how, how does Wyoming play into this? And then I tell them, look, you know, if you can get consensus from every state at the state level, that's so much more foundational and powerful than even getting a federal bill passed. You told me the story about the history of this thing that everyone uses, which is called the LLC, and actually how that became something passed in every state. Yeah, actually, Wyoming was the first state to create the LLC. Very few people know that because most people assume that LLCs originated in Delaware, but they didn't. They originated in Wyoming in 1977. Delaware stole the lead from Wyoming. And as we got going, I said, let's steal that lead back. As many of you know, the Delaware Blockchain Initiative was passed in June of 2017, which authorizes businesses to keep books and records using a blockchain instead of having to keep it in paper form at the corporate office, which is how Delaware law used to be written. And honestly, I looked at Delaware dragging its feet in integrating the Secretary of State with a blockchain and said, this is a chance for Wyoming to grab that lead back. So we started working with our third co-founder, it was really three of us plus the legislator. So Rob Jennings is my college buddy. David Pope is a prominent accountant in Cheyenne and myself. We were the three Wyoming Blockchain Coalition folks. And then Tyler Lindholm is the legislator who made it all happen. But David was the one who said, here's what we really need in Wyoming to seize the lead of LLCs back. Let's, it, let's get a series LLC law passed as well as getting a law passed that, that does what the law in Delaware now does, which is enabled companies to register and keep books and records on a blockchain. And once the Secretary of State integrates with a blockchain, now you're in a completely different realm of managing securities because you can actually track the origin of the security back to its very genesis moment, which is when it's authorized at the Secretary of State in the state of incorporation. What type of privacy protections do entrepreneurs have in Wyoming that's different than other states? Wyoming LLCs, by law, are kept private. The Secretary of State collects almost no information from LLC registrants. It's a huge difference with Delaware, where in Delaware, the registrants are required to provide all kinds of information, including the names and addresses of the members of an LLC. But in Wyoming, that that information doesn't, it isn't collected by the Secretary of State. And so Wyoming has historically been a favored jurisdiction for LLC formation for those that are particularly interested in maintaining their privacy. So especially for intergenerational wealth transfer and and the like. Um, But it turns out that the privacy of Wyoming LLCs, I think, is going to be pretty interesting to the cryptocurrency industry as well. I'm fascinated by the fact that you started this section by talking about how um, every time we have news from regulators, it's bad news, et cetera, et cetera. 
when we talk about regulators in the U.S., it's often bad news. But that's not the global picture. In fact, what, what happens if you look at the global picture is that the U.S. is finding itself in a list of countries that it probably shouldn't be listed beside. You know, if you listen to what's happening in Singapore or in Switzerland, especially in, in Zug, uh, what's happening in Malta, what's happening in many, many other jurisdictions around the world uh, in terms of regulations. Those are the kinds of countries perhaps we should be more associated with when it comes to regulating companies and regulating finance. Instead, the U.S. is finding itself in good company with, you know, Venezuela, India, Pakistan, Vietnam, Cambodia, uh, Bangladesh, um, <laughs> North Korea, and Iran. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny when you go to some of the crypto company websites and it says, this service is available uh, except for the citizens of North <laughs> Korea, Iran, Venezuela, and the state of New York. <laughs> this yeah. is the kind of company we're keeping. So, you know, it's, it's not true that re regulation, I think, um, what we're seeing is something I, I, I have claimed before, is that one of the first things that Bitcoin disrupts is regulation itself. Um, it, it completely undermines the basis of financial regulation. It completely undermines uh, not the authority, but the ability to apply that authority for uh, financial regulators. And it opens up wide open the ability to do jurisdictional arbitrage. And so in that kind of environment, if you do kind of knee jerk and backwards regressive regulation, all it does is, you know, as I say, you, you, you can't take the Bitcoin out of your state, but you can certainly take your state out of the Bitcoin. You know, just today I was in a, in a Twitter conversation with someone about the SEC regulation because this industry is now split on whether we're going to go in the securities tokens direction or the utility tokens direction. And it, it, clearly the SEC would like for it to go in the securities token direction. But what I would say is folks aren't thinking about the implications down the road. And what I mean by that is if every utility token is a security and has to be issued as a security, and it's eventually going to be trading in, in secu regulated securities exchanges through regulated broker-dealer accounts, that has a huge implication on the following. Right now, if it's a security, it has to be custodied by a broker-dealer. Mm -hmm. So is Charles Schwab or Merrill Lynch or Morgan Stanley go going to integrate with the Kodak Coin blockchain so that a photographer can upload a photograph and sell it on the Kodak Coin blockchain? And if the SEC does require that, then effectively what it means is that you've given a blocking right to the incumbents who will say, of course, they don't want to integrate with the Kodak Coin blockchain. So I think this is, there are a lot of folks who are just sort of throwing in the towel and saying, well, to, add, to keep the business in the U.S., we're going to go ahead and issue a security. And it's not that difficult to do it under Reg D or Reg A+. It's really just a manner of sale issue. And lots of folks, I think, for the last several months have effectively been, been, been doing their token offerings in a compliant manner anyway, but the rubber's going to hit the road once these platforms are up and running and the utility tokens 
are finally usable for what they were designed to be used for, do we have to have a Schwab account in order to use Starbucks coin to buy a cup of coffee? And what if Schwab doesn't want to integrate with the Starbucks coin blockchain, for example? So now it's not so easy. It's very, very, very clear to me that U.S. regulations have to change. Either the SEC has to come out and say that that, that tokens can trade on a blockchain outside of a brokerage account. If they do want to shoehorn everything in the securities industry, they're going to have to authorize a, a, a transactional wallet where the true users can use their tokens outside of a brokerage account. Otherwise, it's just going to literally send the industry, to Andres's point, to other countries. Or alternatively, they'll do what Wyoming did and say, all right, let's call a spade a spade. There are some utility tokens that are truly usable and that are true utility tokens that are not securities. It's one or the other. Right now, as securities regulations go, it is pushing the, the industry outside of the United States. And that's a shame. The other thing that it's doing, frankly, is it's just making it so that applications that would otherwise have already come out are simply not able to come out. That was a situation that my company, you know, outside of Let's Talk Bitcoin, found itself in when we developed a tokenization platform for music rights um, called Token.fm. And then in October of last year, in a review with our lawyers after the DAO uh, judgment came out, basically figured out that there was no way that we could do this without violating tons and tons of different laws. And so we did exactly what you are saying that people are doing, which is we went down the Regulation D um, legal token offering and discovered that using Reg D, the advantages of using a token at all as a fundraising mechanism basically goes out the window, except for the hype that surrounds the fact that people are excited about blockchains. When in reality, all of the compliance that you have to do makes it so that you're effectively selling exactly the same thing as what you know is sold under a normal securities offering, except that you are kind of giving your customers additional ways that they can screw up because they can transfer something that maybe legally they're not allowed to transfer. And the the craziest thing about this is it's it's you know breaking your leg and then telling you you need a crutch. It's it's the Mt. Gox problem all over again, which is the reason why this industry got Mt. Gox is because of America. And that was because exactly what just happened to you, Adam, which is that good people doing good things concerned about doing the right thing are prevented by the law because they want to do it the right way. They want to, they, they are prudent. They care about that thing. So then what happens? They get filtered out of any of the product offerings in the market. So it's only the negligent. It's only the people who don't care about that. It's only the, if you could create a market ecosystem, because these regulations don't stop the market. They just stop the good guys. And then Mt. Gox existed because there were like five or six genuinely amazing people now doing great stuff that do everything the right way that they possibly can who tried to start exchanges and got shut down because of the regulators, or they didn't even break a law. They just called the bank, scared the bank and got them shut down. And we got Mt. Gox because they wouldn't let good guys do anything in this space. So we only got bad guys. And you look at all the stuff that's happening in the ICO space right now, and these laws and not having precedents and these bit license nonsense, all it's doing is filtering out all of the good and leaving all the bad. And then when stuff goes wrong, they say, see, this is why you needed us to begin with. I think there's there's a the fundamental misunderstanding here, which is the idea that all of this is being driven by consumer protection. That's certainly the story, but that story doesn't hold up to scrutiny. And it's certainly a useful rationalization. But the truth is that, you know, of the various options that Caitlin described, there's also a third option. 
And the third option is to leave everything in a gray area that gives the maximum latitude for uh, selective prosecution and the application of power, influence, and control by um, the bureaucrats. It enlarges their own power and gives them basically the ability to be gatekeepers. The gatekeepers on massive multi-billion dollar industries or perhaps multi-trillion dollar industries, which creates some very interesting avenues for retirement and future employment after one leaves these regulation environments. So, you know, we're assuming, it's almost an implicit assumption that this is being done to protect consumers. Um, and maybe that's a useful rationalization, but it doesn't stand up to scrutiny. This is because power attracts the desire for more power. And the best way to exercise power is to have rules that are vague, uh, almost like intermittent reinforcement. And then if the rules are vague, what matters is not whether you follow the rules, but whether you 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 essentially express enough fealty uh, and cozy up close enough to the regulators, play their surveillance game, feed them the data they need, give them the power they should have, and recognize the authority they feel they have. So they can treat you better than, than other people. I mean, look at what happened recently with, with Circle and Poloniacs. This is the way the financial industry game is being played. And it's about preserving power. It has nothing to do with consumer protection. So my prediction is that the SEC will simply do nothing. They will not clarify the rules one way or another because it serves the goals of power to have rules that are gray um, because then the only thing that matters is whether you will fall on the bad side or the good side of a bureaucrat. This is why I'm so excited about what occurred through the Wyoming initiative. I always tell people, you know, you can use a term, but when you're talking about law, is it a legal term? So using a word that doesn't have a legal definition means you're not talking about anything in law. So one of the reasons why everyone says it's a commodity, everyone says it's security, everyone says it's property, those are legal terms with legal definitions, and those are the only hammers that they have to hit the nails with. Mm -hmm. And the thing that everyone says is, no, we're not any of these legally defined actions. We're this other term that we just invented that has no legal precedent. And the law does not care about reality. It cares about itself. Like a, it's a syllogism, right? Like Plato's a man, all men are mortal, Plato is mortal. All it cares about is being self-referential, not necessarily reflecting reality. The thing that's crazy about this, or that I love so much about this, is this is the first time that a utility token has actually been given a legal definition. There used to be this clout that we want to pretend to be this thing. It's like, look, there's no legal definition for that. When, when the Silk Road got taken down, they didn't have his private keys for two years or a year and a half. They still said they owned that money. Do you know what the law did? They got a court order referencing a public key address and said the funds associated with this address are now the property of the United States government without having the key. Now, if anyone were to take that key, countersign a transaction out of that, under the law, you just robbed the U.S. Marshal Service. That's how the law would interpret it. Not that they never had the bearer instrument. They seized it. You know how they seized it? Because they said they seized it. You know how it was theirs? Because they said it was theirs. You just took it. You stole it from them. So when people talk about utility tokens and I say, where's the law? Where's the precedent? What are you referencing? When this goes to a court, they just have a set of hammers to look at. And those are the only things they refer to because they don't care about reality. The law is not about reality. It's about being legal. 
And what Caitlin and the team at the Wyoming Initiative did was they gave us the first instance where there are statutes defining what a utility token is. And that to me means we now have a hammer that people can look at and go, oh, that's a utility token. It's small, but just like the LLC started small, you get Wyoming, you get South Dakota, you get North Dakota, you get Nevada. You force Nevada, you get Delaware, you get Delaware, you get everyone else. And before you know it, this might be, everyone talks about cryptocurrencies being the next type of organizations to work together in a way that they're not directly liable for the activity. The last time we had that was called the corporation. The last time we had a major innovation of corporation was the LLC. The place that that got started in America was Wyoming. And I think that Wyoming, we have an opportunity here to make this notion of this new form of coming together through this notion called a blockchain, that like it can start in Wyoming the same way it started with uh, the LLC. And uh, I don't know, Caitlin, if um, you could let us know, like what is a utility token? A utility token is exchangeable for goods, services, or property, and it's not marketed as an investment. That's the gist of what the law says. So you do have to be very careful yeah, yeah, not but, to market but, it as an where, investment. Where are the gotchas yeah. in the fine print? Is, it can't be that simple. There, there's got to be some. It's, is, is, it, is it 20 pages long? The, the definition? No, no, no. The, the, the definition is actually very clear and it does get into the manner of sale. And if the token, for example, is not immediately exchangeable for goods and services, then you have to take efforts and make efforts to keep it locked up so that your uh, the token purchasers don't resell it until it is exchangeable for goods, goods and services. Um, and if you discover that somebody else has um, put it on an exchange, for example, you have to take reasonable efforts to take it off if the token itself is not exchangeable for goods and services. It actually fits reasonably well with securities law. We started a lot broader and there was a tough amendment process. Um, interestingly, at the very last minute with only minutes to spare before the final vote on the bill in the Senate, um, the governor requested a delay, which is highly unusual. And he never shared with us where the delay came from, but it's pretty clear that it came from the securities industry because there were a number of, of amendments that narrowed down what we did. And at the time, I was angry, of course, but it, what, what, what came out is actually something that I think fits pretty well with the securities industry. So to your point, Jonathan, yes, it's just Wyoming, but with that caveat, uh, the, there's something very interesting about Wyoming LLCs, which is that a lot of crypto owners own their crypto through LLCs anyway for liability management purposes. And therefore, if you own your crypto through Wyoming LLCs, even if you live somewhere else, for Wyoming residency purposes, your Wyoming LLC is considered a Wyoming resident um, when it comes to purchasing a token offering in Wyoming. Now, I will say, that some lawyers think that's aggressive, but you could, in theory, have an issuer of a token set up a series LLC and every single token buyer be a Wyoming LLC, regardless of where the token purchaser lives in the world. Hmm. And then it's a Wyoming only token offering. Again, I'm not giving legal advice. A lawyer might not allow you to do that. It kind of depends on how broadly you're marketing your token and what the specific use is. But that is something that will work in under Wyoming law under the right circumstances. Well, I think a lot of people might be uh, reading Wyoming classified ads if you can only advertise in Wyoming. <laughs> well, there you go. The token definition, I think, is usable. We ended up with something that even though it was narrowed down, 
It does fit with federal securities law much close, more closely than it did before. I'm hoping that that has a positive impact on federal law. I'm not holding my breath. But as I said earlier, something's got to give. There has to be a policy change in the United States. Otherwise, the entire industry will leave this country. And it will have been because the SEC rules pushed them out. They either have to allow utility tokens to exist or have to create a means by which securities tokens can be used on a blockchain without giving the securities industry a blocking right. Because if they give the securities industry a blocking right, you know, the Schwabs and Merrill Lynch's of the world will just never integrate with the blockchains and then you'll never be able to, to use your token. Today's show is sponsored by EZDNS.com. EZDNS first started sponsoring the Let's Talk Bitcoin show back in 2013, and they fall into the early libertarian adopters camp. In today's world, it doesn't really matter if you're running a blockchain startup or just have an opinion. You want a company who thinks your rights matter at an ideological level. And for my websites, that's EZDNS. Oh, and for those of you already living in the future, you can pay your bill with Bitcoin or Ethereum. So when you're thinking domains, mail servers, or DNS provisioning, think EZDNS.com. Now, back to the show. It's not just the crypto industry. If this is really, and we're seeing this happening across the board, if this is really opening up completely new ways of raising capital, really in the U.S. at the moment, raising capital is, is something that is a fairly well-developed industry. It's very, very underdeveloped in most other countries. This is opening up uh, potential for raising capital globally from global teams to global teams. Jurisdiction arbitrage is very powerful in that particular case. So we're talking not about getting the crypto industry essentially alienated from the United States. We're talking about getting the startup uh, an entrepreneurial spirit essentially alienated from the U.S. because technology, especially technology startups, but other startups too, are simply going to go elsewhere. And they're going to headquarter elsewhere, and they're going to remit taxes elsewhere, and they're going to source a global pool of capital, a global pool of talent, and a global pool of employees who work remotely anyway. And they're going to do that. In fact, I think they're already doing it. That's right. And Andres, one other thing that I would add is, yes, this market is global, but it is also retail. And I think that U.S. companies are losing out if they can't access the global retail market to raise capital. And here's why I say that, because utility tokens are essentially a form of securitization, which is a very common and, and well-developed financing tool. Where, where companies sell for a discount today the right to their future revenues. This is what Kickstarter is, essentially. You're selling for a discount today the right to the first products that a company generates, right? So that is securitization by another name. And a utility token is essentially securitization by another name. And as a result, if we can finance more cheaply through the utility token market, because it's global and retail, then U.S. companies are losing out on that capital market. And the traditional securitization market is dominated by institutional fixed income players. There's no retail, and it's largely domestic, mostly domestic in, in Europe. 
a little bit of Asia, but not much. So this is a global market that's retail, and it's going to finance companies more cheaply than a traditional institutional market will. As a result, the issuers, the borrowers of capital, are not able to access this if, if, the, if we can't find a happy medium on the, the regulations that allow companies to go forward. And unfortunately, I must say right now, what I've heard, a huge amount of interest in Wyoming. There are definitely people talking, but everybody's skittish because of what's happened in, um, with the SEC. And generally speaking, the law firms are not giving legal opinions anymore because of what's happened with the SEC. So it has caused the industry to freeze. Um, that said, to, to Jonathan's point, I'm playing the long game. It, look what, how long it took for LLCs to, to tip, so to speak, nationally. That's going to happen, I think, with utility tokens. We already have Arizona looking at passing a similar um, bill that would define a utility token as something separate and distinct from a security. It doesn't go as far as Wyoming went, which is to exempt utility tokens from both the money transmitter and securities laws altogether, um, with the exception of the fraud statutes, which, which are um, the, the securities fraud statutes also apply to utility tokens in Wyoming. But otherwise, all the regulations don't apply. Um, Arizona is not going as far as Wyoming, but I hope they do. And, you know, we've had more than a dozen states reach out to us wanting to enact similar legis legislation. It's going to take time, but I think it's going to happen. I can just see it right now, which is this is going to really bring to the forefront this whole uh, this whole idea of state versus uh, federal power. And I expect we're going to see um, federal agents in full battle gear raiding token dispensaries in Wyoming. <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting because I think the industry is in a much better position. When I say the industry, the crypto industry is what I'm specifically talking about. The exchanges and the like, they're in a much better position to defend against litigation than they would have been a couple of years ago because they're cash, you know, they've earned a lot of cash. Um, and so I think that they're, much more likely now than, you know, Jonathan, you talked earlier about the exchanges that were shut down, which is why we all ended up with Mt. Gox. And um, I think that's not going to happen again this time. I think the industry, to the extent there is litigation, is ready for that. And, and the industry will help each other and, um, and, and, and try to literally take on some of these issues. It's either, as I've said before, going to require congressional action or litigation to clarify um, these issues. But I very much hope that it happens sooner rather than later. Not holding my breath, though. One of the things that I've really felt like was a missed opportunity now, basically since the Dow report came out, is the SEC simply could have come out and said, anything that does fundraising using a token is a security in the eyes of the law. Because as far as I can tell, now having spent all this time and money figuring it out, that's pretty much true. As far as utility tokens go in Wyoming, can you use them to fundraise? And do you think that tokens will be usable as a fundraising tool outside of the kind of securitized framework we see coming up, at least in the U.S.? If you're a startup and you're raising funds, it is tough to get to avoid the securities laws. But again, you know, to do a Reg A plus offering or a Reg B offering, as long as you follow the rules, it's not that difficult. The issue is when the utility token is operating, the platform is operating and the utility token is exchangeable for goods or services or content for which it was designed to be exchangeable, 
that's when the rubber hits the road. And that's when it, in theory, it, and, and it, under Wyoming law, it is not a security. It does matter how you marketed it in the first place. So if you market it as an investment, you're stuck in securities world. But if you market it as not an investment or you don't even market it at all and it just takes off, there have been some coins for which that happened. You're safe under Wyoming law. Again, facts and circumstances specific. But if you don't market it as an investment and your token is actually exchangeable for goods or services, then you're in utility token land under Wyoming law. Okay. So we've talked kind of a lot about the context surrounding these bills, surrounding the environment that we're actually in, where these bills are happening, what the history has been, what the current state of things are, what what actually passed in Wyoming. Can you go through the bills kind of one at a time and just hit them from a high level for us? It sounds like we started sure. with the utility token one. So kind of what are the parameters around that that we haven't talked about? Yep. The utility token basically exempts utility tokens as defined under the bill from the money transmitter and securities laws and takes effect immediately. With the application of state securities fraud laws to utility tokens, and very importantly, if you're going to issue a utility token in Wyoming, you have to give advance notice to the Secretary of State, which is there so that if you are a fraudster, they know how to find you, but you don't have to get any sort of approval from them. It's just a notice requirement. Uh, the other ones, we, we um, fixed the money transmitter law that, that prevented the exchanges from doing business in Wyoming. So now Wyomingites can um, do business with the coin bases and circles of the world. We also exempted all crypto from property tax. One thing we haven't said yet on this broadcast, but is very, very, very cool about my home state, my native state, is there's no income tax. So now you have no income tax, no franchise tax, no corporate income tax, and drum roll, please, now no property tax on your crypto. It's a very, very tax-friendly state to, to both live and do business in. Um, and then we did uh, the Delaware blockchain bill that allows companies to keep books and records on the blockchain, plus the series LLC bill. Taking a step back from the specifics for a second, this is a win, it feels like. What do we get out of this? What kind of environment do you expect to see emerge out of this stuff uh, over the course of the next year? And I mean, I guess a better question is kind of what's a reasonable time frame to see anything uh, sort of emerge out of this? Yeah, we've already had hundreds of inquiries um, and there have been dozens of new LLCs formed in Wyoming. So that's great. Um, stay tuned because there will be a big hackathon in Wyoming. We're finalizing the dates uh, and I won't tell who's going to sponsor that, but I think that'll make a lot of waves when it happens. And it's designed to both thank the University of Wyoming, um, as well as to elevate its blockchain program. They've had a blockchain program um, and are teaching a blockchain class this, this semester and are working on a voting platform for Wyoming elections, which is very cool. Um, and, and then I think for the blockchain industry, what this does is it gives clarity. How meaningful is this? It depends on your own project. And that's where you've got to talk to a lawyer about whether you can avail yourselves of the Wyoming law. But even if you can't, to Jonathan's earlier point, it does set a federal precedent, a set of state precedent. There will be many other states who do the same thing as Wyoming has done. And uh, we've got a ball rolling. And I very much hope that this helps the SEC reach a faster conclusion um, so that we can get the clarity. I'm, I hear the skepticism in your voices, but I'm very much hoping that they will clarify exactly what needs to be done so that we don't lose the industry. They don't want to 
be subject to the criticism that they caused the industry to leave the United States. So I'm maybe a little more optimistic than you guys are that that we'll get some clarity out of them. I don't think Chairman Clayton literally meant his statement when he said he hasn't seen an ICO yet that isn't a security. Um, I've actually defended that statement because to the earlier conversation, most of the platforms are still in their early fundraising stage. They don't have an operating token yet. And I would agree that, uh, that for the most part, that first stage is probably a security under U.S. law. But when the rubber really hits the road is when it is when the token is actually operating at that second stage. Is it still a security at that stage? That's where the nuance in that that off quoted phrase from Chairman Clayton is lost. I don't think that all securities will uh, all utility tokens will always be securities. They don't have to be. And that's the piece where I think the SEC really does need to clarify. Or, as I said earlier, if, if they're going to force everybody into a securities bucket, then acknowledge that, in effect, what they're doing is giving the incumbents a veto on the whole securities token industry, which I don't think they want to do. And, and as an alum of the securities industry, I can say the securities industry doesn't deserve to have that veto over, over the innovation that's coming from this industry. So I'm I'm very I'm a little more optimistic that the SEC will reach the right answer, but not holding my breath. Just like I, I, I know I keep saying it, but it's worth emphasizing. Like getting five bills passed at a state level in a few months is like mind-boggling in terms of government speed. And I, I, I the reason why I'm so passionate about what you're doing is that it wasn't an expression of lobbyist. It wasn't like it was so much like derived from community. Like, like the people who did this were all people who grew up in Wyoming and then because of the markets went to the East or the West Coast and then went to the Silicon Valley or Wall Street and then just or really Switzerland. Saw, or Switzerland and like really saw that there was a way that they could just go back home and try to fix something. And like, I think it, it was that it was that like that, that pure, like that community drive that like that like that notion of not malice or secondary motive or like that like let's just go home and do something that I think is why like your project succeeded as quickly as it did because of the community that it had around it and one of the things that most people don't know is that you can reach out through the website by the way what is the website oh wyoming blockchain coalition dot com I believe it's dot io that's how you know it's community not not government (laughs) yeah it's wyomingblockchain.io yeah wyomingblockchain.io yeah it's not the sexiest website because we're all volunteers we're paying for this out of our own pockets yeah no it's that as well but you know like there's a telegram group (laughs) like if you want to actually read the history of this thing coming to fruition it's a bunch of nerdy people putting photos of themselves and talking about oh i hope this and i hope that on telegram like it's it's a t.me slash Wyoming blockchain. And if you want to get engaged, if you want to figure out how it could help, if you want to get this done in your state, if you want to do what the Wyoming people did when they went back home and did it in Wyoming, to any of the other states that people like to pretend aren't there but make up this country, get engaged there, reach out, go on the telegram. If you want to, if you have questions right now and you want to learn about how this can affect you, send them an email reach out. They have lawyers and they have administrators, but this is such a a passion project 
go on the Telegram and just ask questions like you would any other project that's community-derived and just get engaged that way. I, like, I think that a lot of the times things don't happen because people don't realize how easy it is to get involved. And these are one of those very rare instances where it's not an NGO, it's not a lobby group. It's so community-derived that like, just, just, just if, you, if, there any, if there's any interest from this in getting involved, just go to telegram.me or t.me slash Wyoming blockchain like you do any other telegram group and just say hello, say thank you, or just ask a question and there will be people there to help you. That's what's so different about this and this is why I think it succeeded as quickly as it did. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Content for today's show was provided by Caitlin Long, Jonathan Mohan, Andreas Antonopoulos, and Adam B. Levine. This episode featured music by Jared Rubens and General Fuzz, with editing by Adam B. Levine. For questions or comments, email adam at letstalkbitcoin.com. Have a good one.